GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. This is Gibraltar Today, our top story. The stern section of the OS35 has been refloated ahead of the final stages of the removal operation. And we're expecting uh, bad weather to temporarily stop the uh, the operations uh, this weekend. Uh, and then we're expecting and hoping that in about five uninterrupted days, all being well, the wreck of the OS35 could be transported to Holland and sold for scrap. And I'm joined by the captain of the port, John Gio, uh, for whom that must be really music to your ears, uh, to think that the end is in sight, at least, potentially. Absolutely. It's it's a fantastic development. We're very happy with how the operation is going in terms of the safety of the operation and all the minute detail that's gone into it uh, is paying off in that we are having a very controlled operation, albeit it's taking that much longer than we uh, had wanted, but uh, we can't control the weather, unfortunately. And it's more important to do a safe operation to ensure um, absolute protection of the environment, of the workers um, who are involved in this operation, rather than try and rush it uh, and then have something go wrong. Of course. Um, so so safety comes first. Uh, you're satisfied that uh, it's proceeding at a, at a safe rate, to state the obvious? Absolutely. And, and as I've said uh, previously, we've gone through very complex operations. The refloating of the stern was a hugely complex operation. Uh, every single compartment that made up the stern section of what is, after all, a ship which has broken apart and which has then... Uh, been subjected to stormy seas um, on the seabed for eight months. Uh, we had to, or the contractor had to work to re-establish buoyancy in each of the sections in a controlled manner so that when the, sec- the stern section started rising off the seabed, it didn't uh, lose stability, flip one side or the other, or come up in a violent reaction. So that was a, a hugely complex task, which they've done admirably well in doing in a controlled manner. T- tell us, how does the refloating work? What do you fill the ship with to, to help her to become buoyant? The two different sections of the vessel are refloated with different methodology. So the stern section, which is what has been done so far, uh, that was a oversimplification. It's re-establishing buoyancy. You recall that uh, back in late September, we we intentionally sunk the stern section to give the wreck greater stability. We always said that the the methodology we used to do that was a reversible methodology. So, in effect, what we had to do was reverse the process of sinking the stern, except that, obviously, the vessel had gone through, or the wreck had gone through further damage from storm. Uh, so, every single compartment which makes up the stern section need to be ch- needs to be checked. Uh, initially, pumping compressed air into each compartment, checking to see whether it holds um, the air pressure or whether they have any leaks. Any leaks need to be identified, patched, uh, welding. Once we get to uh, checking, once the contractor got to doing all that for the smaller compartments, then they move to the bigger compartments. Critically 
cargo hold four, cargo hold five, and the engine room. And there it's a case of pumping water out. Uh, but again, as you pump the water out, you need to make sure that you're playing with the ballast tanks on that section to make sure that you have a stable reaction and a, sta- a stable floating operation. Okay, uh, so that that's the stern then? Yeah. And and what's left, the, the bow? The bow is, is completely different because uh, the bow is made up of cargo hold one and two plus the four-peak. Uh, you don't, there, there aren't enough compartments to give it buoyancy on its own right. So it will be a mechanical lift um, through mechanical means, in effect. And, and we showed uh, some photos of the purpose-built bollards that have been drilled into the into the bow, uh, the hull uh, of the bow section. These will be attached to chains. The two barges that are in place will be manoeuvred on either side of the bow section. Uh, chains will be connected to these lifting points and slowly they will start raising the bow section up until they get to a suitable draft, at which point they will move it directly to the semi-submersible, which adds a further complication. Whilst we're doing all this, we need to sink the semi-submersible close by so that we can move the for the bow section, which will be suspended in between two barges by chains, onto the semi-submersible, lift that one slightly so that we bring the bow lift to rest it onto on the it. deck, yeah. then bring the stern section also onto the semi-submersible and then lift it completely up. It, it is complicated. I'm sure like Absolutely. if you if you had a little dry diagram, our listeners would follow it better. But I, I think I've understood um, what you're saying and certainly I've understood uh, that it is a, a complex um, process and not something that you can rush. Uh, as you said at the start, something to be done carefully and safely. No? Um, to which end, we've, we've had a, a question from one of our listeners, uh, Kevin, um, that just asking basically how long uh, are the shifts that the crews are working at the moment? The salvage crew, they're, they're working, uh, it's demand-driven. So uh, whilst initially we were contemplating that they would be working daylight hours, and in their case that means they mobilise us from 7 o'clock, start working 8 o'clock, in the morning and depending what progress they're doing and on what critical phase of a task they're at they will continue until that task is finished or until uh, daylight fails now they have a full rotation of uh, of crew on board the two salvage vessels so they are able to rotate the the critical thing to bear in mind is that cooler contractors are specialized salvage specialists their entire crew has specific training and their setup is geared to tailor for these sort of operations so they build into their planning the rotations of crew because obviously tired people make mistakes and you can't afford to have mistakes in in such delicate operations so they have um, a full rotation of crew um, so that they make sure that everybody is fresh and alert and on concentrated on the job at hand. What about your job? Because we've had um, a, a, a question or comment here, I suppose, uh, from Ian uh, on our social media. Ian says, there's not enough money on the planet to make me want the job of the captain of the port. Kudos for doing it so calmly. Um, what has it been like to be captain of the port in recent one- months? Well, I think people fixate on on my role as the captain of the port, as the visible symbol of the port authority. The reality is 
I would not be able to do the job without the fantastic team that I have backing me up at the Port Authority, uh, a collection of professionals, dedicated professionals, who put a lot of time and effort into uh, doing a lot of work, which most of the time is behind the scenes and un unacknowledged. Having said that, um, I think every job has its pe uh, peculiar challenges, and I, f I still enjoy my job and my responsibility despite uh, circumstances such as these, which I have to be honest, I would rather not be facing. Of course. Now, uh, we've had a question from Tom, uh, which I'll read out for you. Uh, it says, Captain Gio, thanks for heading this complicated manoeuvre. It seems to me that with the bow section suspended on chains from barges, uh, which is what you were explaining to us uh, a short while ago, that the bringing of the submersible, the semi-submersible, uh, under this bow section seems to be a very delicate and precise operation, says Tom. Uh, and he's asking, is there a possibility of this going wrong? Uh, and would this then result in the section dropping back to the seabed? It, it is absolutely a very delicate uh, situation. I mean, one of the things, uh, as you mentioned on, on the introduction, we're expecting bad weather. Let's be specific. It's not bad weather per se. It's just weather which is beyond the limits which will allow for the operation to be done safely. Fair enough, because people are looking at the weather and actually exactly. thinking like, oh, wait, but I was yeah. hoping to go to the beach. So it, it, It's bad for the operation. Absolutely. And, Choppy, and windy. It's easterly, which will build up an element of swell. And when we have such a delicate operation, we can't have uh, chains being uh, ex having pressure exerted on them by the wave action uh, whilst they're doing this. Um, is there a possibility that something goes wrong? There's always a possibility. There's there's no 100% certainty, but there is a lot of planning, a lot of calculations by very um, specialized professionals from the contractor, including dedicated naval architects who have done the modeling, who have a number of fallback positions so that they can keep it under control, even if it starts exceeding the parameters that they're catering for. That's why it's such a, a delicate operation. So poco a poco, and 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 you're going to make sure that it's a, a safe uh, operation, and that uh, and that that ship once lifted doesn't fall back Absolutely. to the seabed. Okay, uh, I'll, I'll just for completeness. Jared has said, "Fantastic job, well done to everyone involved," and I'm sure that you'd uh, you, well, you more or less have echoed uh, that sentiment by by paying tribute to the uh, invisible, if you like, invisible team of people at the Port Authority uh, who are uh, assisting in this operation. Absolutely, but I think we also have to remember that it's not only the Port Authority that that is involved in this. We have uh, cooperation from agencies that, such as the RGP from HM Customs who are helping us out in making sure that we have security around the site. We have invaluable uh, support from the Department of the Environment. And we have the port community, the private operators who are providing us renting out assets, and uh, human resources to help us to contribute to this operation. And of course, the contractor cooler who are putting, doing literally the heavy pulling. Sure. <laughs> um, and what about liaison with Spanish authorities? Has that been uh, proceeding well? Absolutely. We we speak on a daily basis. Uh, we inform them of what the situation is like. They are very supportive um, and we have nothing but cooperation and support from them. And I think it's 
it's a measure of normality, which makes sense. Um, if something were to go wrong with this operation, they would be impacted shortly after we are impacted. So, Sure. Okay. Um, and, and on that note, um, I think you mentioned in a recent update that some residue spilling was almost inevitable as you lifted uh, the OS-35, um, but you were hoping to contain it within the booms. Has there been some residue and has it been contained? We've had extremely light. In fact, it's been below what our expectations were so far for the raising of the stern section. Um, but I've always said the, the critical phase, the most the the area of operations where we have the most risk is when we refloat the semi-submersible with the two sections and effectively we take the two sections completely out of the water. At that point, we expect every little drop of anything which is on, on either of those sections to come out. I mean, I don't know if you've, you've been able to see the photos of the stern section floating. It looks very high out of the water. It still it does, has yeah. a further six meters under the water. So it, w it will be floated completely dry. Okay, is that part is looking almost normal, no? It is. I mean, that's the sort of picture that you see from a ship when it's in ballast conditions and without cargo. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I, I must say that every time I have a, a lunch from a Tupperware, I, I, I'm reminded about the residue, no? because when, when you've got a sauce in your meal and you take the meal out and you put it in a plate to heat it up, what remains in, in the Tupperware is still sort of, you know, there's still some sauce there. And I always think of that comparison with the ship. Yeah. Okay, you, you've pumped out all of the oil that you could pump, but there'll be some residue still uh, within there. And and what you're saying is that it's almost inevitable that some of it will make its way into the sea. And the, the job of the contractors will be to try and contain it to the greatest extent possible. Well, I, I think it's beyond only the job of the contractors. Um, the plan that we've put in place is a very detailed plan where the contractors have what we are calling the tactical oil spill plan. Sitting above that is a more strategic oil spill plan, which is resources from the Port Authority uh, and our local contractors. And sitting beyond that is further escalation measures that we have already planned and on standby. And then from there, if uh, I think that caters for uh, what we reasonably expect could be the worst case scenario. Okay, let me ask you if I can, uh, Captain Gio, uh, about um, the the captain of the OS-35. To the extent that you can uh, or, or wish to comment now, it's no longer sub judice because it's been through the courts. Uh, he pleaded guilty and uh, and working from memory was uh, received a suspended sentence. I think it was four months, um, but uh, it's a suspended prison sentence, which means he won't actually go to prison. But uh, but he acknowledged uh, that uh, or his, through his lawyer uh, that he, he played obviously a significant uh, part in uh, what happened. Um, for his, he claimed that it was at the start that he made the wrong calculation uh, at the start uh, and, and miscalculated the strength of the tide and the winds uh, when he was leaving his anchorage. Um, do you have a, any general comments to make that you might have wanted to make in, in recent months but, but haven't because it was a matter that was before the courts but, but now no longer is? 
I don't think it's it's my place to to criticize uh, a master mariner for what he has admitted is a wrong decision. I think there are things I would have wanted him to do different, especially after the collision. Uh, the communication flow was not what we wanted and did not help us. Um, but look, I think there's also... Uh, I need to have a bit of empathy and understand that the guy was um, panicking at that point, something which he will have been trained not to do, but everybody's human. So I, I don't think there's much value in, in laying into the captain of, of the OS35 and criticizing him um, inordinately, inordinately, especially because um, one of the things that um, we will be working on the moment that we finish with the wreck is going through the independent investigation of the circumstances around the incident. And I think that's a point where it's the right point for us to provide feedback into the investigation carried out by the independent investigator uh, on behalf of the Marine Accident Investigation Coordinating Officer in for Gibraltar. So I think that's the, the right avenue for us to, to pursue. This. Well, I don't know then if you'll be able to answer this next question from Sarah, but uh, I'll put it to you just in case. Uh, she followed the uh, reporting on uh, that uh, Supreme Court trial and uh, and she just wanted to, or, or matter, uh, because of course he pleaded guilty, um, the are reporting, I think, on the sentencing. Uh, and Sarah's asking if you agree with uh, the uh, captain of uh, the OS35's lawyer uh, that most of the financial impact of this accident will be absorbed by insurance. That's certainly the intention. I mean, the, the principle of the polluter pays, and by extension, the insurance company for the polluter uh, is certainly one that we uh, want to bring to effect. Um, it's no secret that we have, uh, and, and it's, uh, it was referred to in the House of Parliament, we have a, a Supreme Court case with the insurer where, where they are typically pushing back on some of the expenses that have been in, incurred on our response operations to this. But my expectation is that the, the costs will be borne by the insurer, and certainly, I think it's a it's a separate matter, the cost of the operation versus taking a punitive approach to the captain of the vessel. Sure, um, and and the individual, uh, for, uh, by all accounts, has suffered very significantly since uh, the court heard that he's been reminded uh, about his error. Uh, every day because the ship is uh, so visible and is such an important part of the news cycle. Um, uh, he is said to have suffered from insomnia and depression since, equating um, what he did to for, for a master mariner to, to losing a child um, almost. And, and his career, we heard, is now um, itself in a, a wreck and he'll find it difficult to, to recover. Um, so so if we put to one side the, the individual, can I ask you, to the extent that you can comment at this stage, um, if uh, if the court heard that the VHS um, operators were helping with Anchorage, but not when departing, and uh, the captain of the OS35's lawyer suggested that, um, I think hinted at the fact that this is perhaps surprising and and would it not be best practice for the port to assist more 
proactively uh, those vessels departing BGTW in the same way as they do when they enter. I think it's one case for the lawyer to make that case in a legal setting. The reality is when you go into into real life as opposed to the legal setting, things are very different. The captain of a vessel is a master mariner and a captain precisely because he has full authority and full command of what that ship is doing. VTS provides instructions and guidance. What we don't do is micromanage the birthing operation. Uh, and what I think the the lawyer was alluding to was the comment from the captain at one point that pilotage is compulsory on the way in, but pilotage is not compulsory on the way out. To That's which right. my answer is, pilotage is something that we're very happy to provide if the captain wants a pilot on board. So it's so, not that it's not that it's not available. It's always available. It's just a cost to it, and it's not mandatory. Exactly. So, so if if a captain of any vessel uh, thinks that uh, he or she wants the extra assistance, it's there. You just have to wait for the resource to be available and pay for it. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, right, um, John Gio, thank you so much. Uh, before we uh, wrap up this interview, uh, let's just uh, sum it up if we can. Uh, the stern section of the OS35 has now been refloated. You're hoping uh, that maybe by the end of next week you might be able to, uh, weather permitting, uh, to have lifted the rest of the wreck of that bulk carrier and start transporting it to the Netherlands where it's going to be sold for scrap. Uh, how are you feeling uh, at this in these final stages uh, of what has been a very long story? Sorry, Jonathan, let me just clarify one very small point. We need, we, we are estimating that we need five full working days uninterrupted. So we need to find a weather window which gives us five days without stopping and starting. Uh, if the conditions were optimal, as from Sunday, for example, then I would say we, we are in a good position to be ready by end, by end of the week. I understand. So you need those days to be uninterrupted, uh, so you can't have two good days, then one bad day. You Absolutely. need those five clear days. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, apart from that, look, um, I'm feeling somewhat fatigued by the situation, but overall I think it's been fantastic to see the port community and, in fact, the general public supporting the work that we're doing. Um, really grateful, especially now that we're unfortunately into bathing season, that the general public is bearing with us, is showing patience and restraint and understanding that we are doing this as carefully as we can and unfortunately we can't um, control the weather. Uh, so overall, despite the negativity of the circumstances, I, I think uh, it's been a very good experience, but we're not there yet, and it's too early to um, be con uh, patting ourselves sure. on the shoulder. Well, we wish you the best of luck for these final stages, and we look forward to uh, talking more fully about potential lessons uh, that uh, Gibraltar could learn uh, from this OS35 uh, incident. But uh, for now, Captain of the Port, John Gio, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. 
Local Voices On Demand.